Amen. Praise the Lord. It has been an amazing Sabbath. International Sabbath, for that matter. And it was a blessing in the first service. And it's been another blessing. So uh, many of us have been blessed twice to be able to just say a thank you to Pastor Jeremy and the whole ensemble and everything and everyone that has participated in the worship gatherings this morning. So thank you. Let's give them a hand. That, that took a lot of practice and time. I want to thank you. I didn't do it in the first service, but Justin and family, um, my goodness, we need to hear the rest of that testimony. Thank you. And praise God the way that he has led you and your family. And of course, um, I'm, I'm a, a, a history buff. And so obviously I have read a lot about what happened in your country. And praise God that you and your family are here today. I want to thank the pastoral staff here. A special shout out uh, to your pastor, your senior pastor, Pastor Matt Smith, my friend and colleague. He's relaxing right now somewhere. So man, God bless you. Have a great time. We got it covered here. Your church says hello to you and your family. Enjoy your time off. And also a special shout out to uh, uh, actually my former boss and colleague and still my good friend and his wife, Pastor Tim Nichols and Cherie. Um, for those that may not know, I'm part of the ministerial department of the Florida Conference and uh, Pastor Tim Nichols was um, the VP at the time when I started there which shows you a little bit of time that I've been in that department. And so, uh, Tim, it's always great to see you, praying for you in a very special way, and Cherie as well. So with that said, I am honored to be able to deliver the message here. And as I always say, anywhere I preach, especially the longer I've been doing this, I would say, is that the Lord has spoken to me, and I'm just here to share with you what God has spoken to me. Because I always tell preachers of all ages, I said, if... if if you don't feel that God has spoken to you as you get up on the pulpit, then it's better you have somebody else preach. That's just my take. Because really, we're just sharing what God has shared with us and put in our hearts. And so I pray that this message will be a blessing as it has been to me. Pray with me. Gracious and Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your spirit that's here if our eyes can see what we cannot see now, we could see the angels going to and from. And so, Lord, we ask as well as your spirit to continue to touch our hearts, to continue to open our minds now as we open your word. And Lord, as you have blessed me and challenged me and inspired through what we're about to study, may it do the same to all those here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you on course? Title of my sermon. On September 15, 1874, a man by the name of Jay and Andrews, uh, next slide, set off from the Boston Harbor to Switzerland. He would become, as many of you know, the first official Adventist missionary of our community of faith of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And many would know this statue, especially... How many of you are graduated or have been to Andrews? Say amen. This is Forest Lake, Javier. It's like probably like three-fourths of this church, if not more. Hallelujah. Amen. And actually, we're technically, if you want to say celebrating, 
25 years, I won't ask how many were at Andrews before the statue got there. We'll just leave that one alone. But it was 25 years uh, this year that the statue is there. And of course, this statue after the namesake of Andrew shows, and I love it that it shows his kids, Charles and Mary. Charles was 16. Mary was 12. And it has Andrews pointing eastward towards where they were going, right? Switzerland. Some may or may not know, or they'll be reminded here, that he was a single father. He was 45 years old, a single father, as two of his children had died of tuberculosis, one at about 13 months or so, the other one four days old. And tragically, his wife, obviously not presented here, because his wife had passed away just two years before they left to Switzerland. I can't imagine, you that have kids could probably imagine a bit, Andrew's going to Charles and Mary and saying, hey, let's go on a nice Royal Caribbean cruise across the Atlantic or across the ocean, right? Obviously, that wasn't what it was like. It was like a, a, about a two-week trek across and then a drive. If I can, well, not really a drive, right? But a time, hitting the road to get to Switzerland. And sometimes we don't realize or don't remember the struggles we hear about Andrews, we see the statue, but the struggles they went through. We hear about the struggles that he went through financially, his health personally, and ultimately not getting the results at the beginning that they wanted to when they went to Switzerland. It's interesting because it's been noted that the brethren back home, they kind of were telling him, well, maybe what you need to do is to follow the methods that we're doing here in the U.S. But as a missionary, the first, being the first is always the hardest. Jay and Andrews knew, no, we, we need to contextualize mission for what's happening here. A fun fact, speaking of, con of contextualization. Fun fact that the story goes that he told Charles and Mary, he said, let's not speak English in our house except for between five and six. And they agreed. Not sure if they had a choice or not, but they agreed. So I could imagine, and it's been said that by five o'clock, as they were struggling with the language by five o'clock where they can speak English for that one hour. I mean, everything came out, you know, whatever, dad, this, and you know, it, can you imagine that for one hour only in a different country trying to learn the language they couldn't pick up one of these and use Google Translate. But it's been said that within a year, they were fluent in French. Actually, Jay and Andrews, Knew seven different languages. You see, a man like Andrews that showed such leadership, who by this time had already been president of the General Conference, a premier scholar, the scholar in our church, written amazing papers about the Sabbath that we can all read today. He never gave up. He pressed forward. And God blessed mightily. 
It wasn't like Andrews did this and said, you know, someday they're going to name a university after me. See, even in the midst of another heartbreak, in the midst of his travel four years later, his, his beautiful, incredible, wonderful, loved daughter, Mary, who was such a help to him, she had tuberculosis. The brethren had called him back to the U.S., so he took Mary with him, hoping that a Dr. Kellogg would be able to help. And sadly, as many of you know, that would not be the case, as she would pass away that same year, November 1878. And the next spring, he would return. He would return to Switzerland where he would die just a few years later. At the young age, I want to say young, of 54. Having given his entire life, one would say, or a good portion of his life, to the cause to move the mission of God forward. I love stories like this. Andrews is one of my, you can say, favorite individuals of the history of our church. And it takes me, obviously, to one of the, if not the greatest missionary of all time to Paul. And it's where we want to spend our time unpacking a text, an incredible verse that Paul states. But next slide. But if you forget anything this afternoon, I want you to remember this. I know you know this, and I'm here to remind you in the name of Jesus, that all who follow Jesus are missionaries. If you're a follower of Jesus, Regardless of your journey, say amen. amen. You're a missionary. I was hoping they would say amen to that one too, Jesus. But we're working on it. We're working on it. All who follow Jesus are missionaries of the gospel of His grace. Amen. We may not go to Switzerland. We may not go to the Caribbean. Maybe the Lord is calling you to cross the street. So we go to Paul. Next slide. Right in the middle of a narrative, Acts 20, 24. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them up as well. And this is what it says. However, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race or the course, depending on the version, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, he says. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It must be noted that Paul says this during his third missionary journey. And at one point through that journey, Paul decides that he is going to Jerusalem. So he actually takes a longer route. And for the sake of scope of time, we'll just move him, we'll move with him as he is at Miletus. Next slide, please. And when he is in Miletus, he calls for the elders of Ephesus, a church that he spent three years ministering to. Interesting note that from where he was to Miletus was a little over 30 miles. And the elders came to him because he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And as the elders finally get to him, I want to take up the narrative that leads us to the text that we're unpacking. Next slide. Acts 20, verse 18. You with me? Say amen. amen. 
when they arrived, I love that, amen. That was amazing, guys, right here in the front. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I, lived, how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Now, sometimes we can read these narratives in Acts. Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Now, oftentimes or sometimes when I say that, they go, don't you love the rest of the Bible? Of course I love the rest of the Bible. I'm a pastor, but I really love the book of Acts. Amen? I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Just slow down and read that for a moment. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, remember, he's, he's just speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Next slide. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Hmm. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Next slide. And now, don't miss it, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. And I know that everything is going to be great and fine and dandy. We're all just going to come together and watch the chosen. Oh, wait. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing. What does it say there? Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know. <laughs> wow. That in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Next slide. And so we get to our text where he says, however, in other words, I know all of that. I know prison and hardships await me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, the course, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul's life is one that no student of the Bible would doubt that he was on mission. He was on course. He knew a thing or two about suffering and being hungry and thirsty, getting stoned, being whipped, being in prison. Yet he was relentless by the spirit of the living God that was upon him. I'm sure an inspiration to a man like J. and Andrews, who by the way, it's been said, he memorized the entire New Testament. This text has echoed in my own personal life as when I was ordained four score seven years ago. You know, when you're going to get ordained, they always ask you, what's your favorite Bible text or what's the text you want to add? And it's this one. And I know many others have chosen it as well. But I want to tell you, it's, it's been a, an incredible, beautiful text that has always spoken to my life. It is still my favorite Bible text. And it's one that I'm trying through God's grace to live up to. But I have to be honest with you, when I was growing up in the church, I grew up, I was born in the Adventist church. Well, I was born in a hospital that was Adventist. In an Adventist home, attending large Spanish churches in downtown Los Angeles. And they would read to us the missionary stories when we were kids, right? Remember the little pamphlet? Some of you all know what I'm talking about, right? With the felt board sometimes they used. Little Phelps would always fall down. 
And then later in life, I know some of you are going, what is he talking about? Felt boards and we got this thing and we had videos now of the mission story. And I love them. I love to read history. I'm a history buff. And so Andrews is one of my favorite personalities, characters of Adventist history, one of them. But I used to think in my journey of faith, maybe consciously or subconsciously, that's them. That's awesome. That's Paul. What else do you expect of Paul? I mean, you have Jesus and then Paul. And then for some of us, depending where you want to have him, Peter, right? This is kind of like, that's not me. Yes, I'm called to be a witness, but, but not like them. And along with that, the question I pondered was why and how? Why would these men and women throughout the course of history as missionaries, in the midst of health, economic challenges, and many other daily struggles, continued forward? You see, we owe it to the missionaries. The reason we can have, I would argue, an international day in our community of faith is because missionaries that went to where my wife was in Nicaragua, to Cuba, to Jamaica, to all the ends in the world where J.N. Andrews began within our community of faith, but beyond our community of faith. As a matter of fact, when Andrews um, went later, when his great-grandson or his grandson went on a mission trip, actually became a missionary, one of the first missionaries to where he went in China. Hudson Taylor's mission helped him. In other words, we are th so thankful to have International Sabbath because the gospel of grace is to go to all nation, tribe, tongue, and people. But this saying that Paul has here in Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. This is Paul saying, not that he doesn't value his life, of course, but that his life's value is first and foremost about following Jesus. Surrendering all to the Jesus who gave all to him. For in him all things hold together. And you see this in Paul's other letters too. It's important to note that in this third missionary journey, when Paul is saying Acts 20, 24, he had already written 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He didn't know it was going to be part of the Bible and he headed all the way down to our time. He had already written Galatians. He had already written Romans. And just listen, next, uh, next you know, slide. He had already written it. And just listen to his words to these different churches. 1st Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, hallelujah, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. Don't miss that. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Next slide. And then in Galatians 2, 20, a well-known to all of us. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, he tells them, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I used to live, what? In the body or in the flesh, and now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And to the Romans, he would say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It was God's transforming grace in Paul's life that empowered him for mission, that empowered him relentlessly. If Jesus did that for me and he changed my life and this gospel can do what it did in my life, it needs to go to all people as he has called me. And that's why he said the mission that he has given me and given us all. You see, God is able to do more than we think and we imagine if we will go and follow him and surrender all to him. The reality is that if you would have met me 20 years ago, you would have never thought 20 plus years ago that that guy is going to be preaching and I would be okay with that. I would, because I was the guy saying I'm, I, I would never think of being a pastor. Let alone preaching here in Forest Lake amongst all these wonderful people. Like there was no way. But through God's grace, God is able to do more. I owe God and Jesus Christ everything of my life. There's a reason that I am here today. And in my journey of faith, God calls me to become a pastor. I, I told my then girlfriend, who is now my wife, praise the Lord. And they gave you an amen. Hallelujah. I mean, is, am I that bad? I mean, they gave you an amen. Amen. It is amen. Praise God. She's amazing. But they call us to ministry. So we get married. And the next few weeks after we come back from our honeymoon, we're on our way to this university that I had never been to. But God sends me there with no money, no job, brand new, freshly married couple to a place called Southern Adventist University. 20 plus years ago, we moved to SAU, to Southern. God blesses us. I'm about to graduate. Like any student, you interview with all the conferences. And here comes Florida to interview. And they didn't pick me up. So, And then maybe Georgia Cumberland. Hey, Matt. And they didn't pick me up. And I'm saying, Lord, I know you called me. And we interviewed with multitude of conferences, and then the last one that we weren't even sure that we wanted to interview. And when we went to the interview, we left the interview saying, that's not where we want to go, Lord. And you know what happens. It happened. And I'm going to tell you the conference that I went to. It was Gulf States Conference, Alabama and Mississippi, hallelujah. And the Florida Panhandle, technically, from Tallahassee West. And they call us and... It was the only place that called us at the time. And so if you wanted a job, that's where you were going to go. That's where we were going to go. And praise God, I'm going to say my wife again. She is amazing. And we went. And we ended up in the big city. And if you know where this is at without Googling it, Pastor Matt will invite you when he gets back anywhere you want to eat. But it's in Silas, Alabama. You don't know where that is. Stop, stop. You guys don't know where that is. I had no idea where that was. Gave me a three-church district in the middle of nowhere. And I said, Lord, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I moved to Miami. 
And then you're calling me to Silas, Alabama. My wife and I were the first, or one of the firsts, from Hispanic backgrounds. My wife is from Nicaragua. My family's from Cuba. To pastor English churches. Now, there were Spanish pastors there, pastoring Spanish churches. But they were, at, at that time, 20 plus years ago, no pastors from Spanish background pastoring English churches. Completely out of our comfort zone. Speaking of the international potluck that we're all waiting for, I promise you I'll be done in an hour and a half. So when we... I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. So this wonderful lady invites us to eat. Amazing lady. As a matter of fact, she's such a beautiful lady that even after we left, sadly, she tragically passed away. They, she said, Pastor, I know you're leaving when, when we left to another district. She said, but if I die, I want you to do my funeral. It's like, wow. It's like, that was just... I was a young pastor. I never heard that before. So at this, she invites us to eat, and she puts this food before us. I'd never seen this food. And so I taste the food, and I, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm type A, so I really couldn't hide anything in my face, and she was very astute, and she said, Pastor, do you like it? And I said, well, and it was okra. Why are you laughing? I'm telling you, okra is not going to be in heaven. <laughs> if you like okra, forgive me. I know Pastor Matt's from the South, and maybe he likes okra. God bless him, and all of you that love okra. But then she said, Pastor, don't worry. Hold on a second. And, and, and she brings me another, I mean, all these is fresh, right? Deep South, fresh vegetables. She brings back, and she gives me this other plate. And she says, well, this is okra too, but it's fried. And then I realize that okra still, even fried, won't be in heaven. But the only fried food in heaven will be plantains. Hallelujah. God guides us. If you would have told me when God called me into ministry before going to Southern, and if God would have come down and said, hey, I'm sending you to Alabama and Mississippi when you graduate. God bless you. That's me. I'm, go ahead. I don't know that I would have gone. I probably would have been the Jonah. But I want to tell you, we spent 10 years in that conference and we would not change anything. Incredible people. They taught me. Hopefully I taught them. To this day, we have friends that when we get to see them in different Adventist hangouts, it is amazing to go back and to be able to love them and say thank you. To this day, one of the greatest elders I ever had in a church was the head elder of the last church before I came back to Florida. All because my wife and I, and I have to include my wife, we said yes. And perhaps that is the essence for you and I today. Will we say yes? Where is it that God may be calling you to step out of your comfort zone? To go and taste something that's as bad as okra. Or as good as fried plantains. You're all hungry now, aren't you? Next slide. I have this quote from the great Dietrich Bonhoeffer from The Cost of Discipleship. German theologian. We know that sadly he was executed right before they were liberated in the war. And this is what he says. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. 
The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. Next slide. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. Like Paul, right? We give our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And then here now is perhaps one of his most popular quotes. Next slide. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, perhaps, perhaps... A couple of the greatest issues we have in regards to mission. And when I'm talking about all of us being missions, as I said at the beginning, I'm not necessarily saying to another country. But as I mentioned, it could be across the street, where you live, in your house, in your home, in your family, at your job. A couple of the greatest issues that we may have to mission is that of distraction and comfort. We are living in an era in which we are hyper-consumers. Hyper-consumers. I would venture to say many of us are addicted to consuming. Hours on our phones and social media, watching, streaming, reading news. And I'm not saying all those are in and of itself bad. Of course they're not. But we're hyper-consuming. And so we're distracted. Our phones consistently putting up alerts. But we are also living in a world. And I know I'm generalizing. If this doesn't affect you, praise God. You're a step ahead of me. In which often we're seeking comfort and ease, first and foremost. Yet as followers of Jesus, this may put us in a bit of, a t of tension. For as we can see over and over in the history of the Christian church, not just within our community of faith, the history of the Christian church, the call of God will not always be that of comfort as we understand comfort. But it will bring us peace. Because when we follow Jesus, there is the peace that surpasses understanding. And it will bring us comfort because Jesus is the ultimate comfort. Back to my question, how and why? How can Paul Pete in a jail and be singing hymns? Because Jesus was his comfort. So where are you today? Jesus has a calling in your life and in your life and in your life and in your life. And you way back there, Jesus has a calling in, in your life. Get off the phone. No, I'm just kidding. And how, and how, and where is he calling you? Just say yes. And take that step and be at peace. He is with you. But I want to start closing here. Because with the essence of mission, one cannot overlook Paul's love for people. Lord, I was hoping everybody would say amen to that one too. Now, I know we know that, but follow me here. In the context of this narrative, our passage of study is we, we read Paul speaking to these elders. And let's listen carefully to the last words as he leaves. Next slide. Acts 20, verse 36. He says, when Paul had finished speaking... He knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept. Slow down, slow down. We're almost done. They all wept. 
as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And if you read the narrative as a whole, you will see that Paul gives them the, the, what we would say the truth. He said, I have not, as we read earlier, I have not kept anything from you. Anything to follow Jesus, to hold strong to Him, no matter what the world says, follow Jesus, stick to Jesus, move forward in mission to these elders. Crazy things are going to be happening. Wolves will come into the church, but stand strong, move forward, speak the truth in Jesus, and love. And sometimes we miss this. Then they accompanied Him to the ship, and we miss verse 1 of chapter 21. That's right, verse 1 of chapter 21. Now, of course, Luke is writing this, and when he's writing, there's no verses, there's no chapters. And depending on your translation as well. But in 21 verse 1, it says, after we had torn ourselves, many versions will say after we just departed. And if you read just departed, then they will say, okay, they just departed. But the Greek there tells us that there was an effort in that verb. Essentially. It gives us a better insight a quick glimpse of the love that Paul had for them and they had for Paul. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in regards to having this love for people. 2 Corinthians verse 5 and 14 and 15, next slide. And it says, for Christ's love compels us. When we experience Christ's love for ourselves, there is nothing that can hold us back just like with Paul in our own sphere of influence, to move forward in love, to tell people of God's grace. Hallelujah. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Everywhere he went, as led by the Spirit, Paul showed this love for people by declaring the gospel of God's grace, the gospel that told them how Jesus is the answer to everything, our identity, who we are, where we come from. Because in Jesus, all things hold together. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our everything. Whatever you may be going through today and this week, Just, I want to remind you here that Jesus is the answer. I was reminded this week as I was studying. And I want to finish with Paul's life. Ellen White, one of my favorite writers, speaks of Paul's very last moments before he was martyred. Listen to what she says. Paul was led in a private manner to the place of execution. Don't miss that. His persecutors, alarmed at the extent of his influence, feared that converts might be won to Christianity even by the scenes of his death. Now Paul had already faced Nero, obviously, by this time. Paul at this time had already written and now Ephesus was being pastored by his protege Timothy. Don't miss that. His persecutors alarmed at the extent of his influence feared that comforts might be won to Christianity even by the scenes of his death. But Paul carried with him through his life on earth the very atmosphere of heaven. 
All who associated with him felt the influence of his connection with Christ and companionship with angels. Next slide. Here lies the power of the truth. Here lies the power of the truth. A holy life is the most convincing sermon that can be given in favor of Christianity. Hmm. The secret? It's really not a secret. It's Jesus. And our connection with Jesus. So where do we start? Well, maybe I want to leave you with one more quote from the words of Jane Andrews himself on the next slide. Perhaps one of the most well-known quotes from him as well. He says, I know but one way. Find a field of labor, ask God to help, take off your coat, and pitch into the work. I'll take that, J.N. I'm sorry, Dr. Andrews. I know but one way. Find a field of labor, ask God to help, take off your coat, and pitch into the work. Where may that be for you as missionaries? You're a missionary. I'm a missionary. And as we move out in mission, as we leave this sanctuary, and we go off as missionaries in our places, Apopka, Altamont, wherever you may live, wherever you watching online may live, I pray that we may finish. In the same way that Paul speaks to, again, his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy, the next slide. And it's so fascinating to know that he's writing this to Timothy right before, right, his death. Not too long before his death. He knows his time is up. And he's writing to the pastor of the Ephesus church. Don't miss that. To the same church that he said, that I consider my life worth nothing until I finish the race or the course. And that word actually, course in the Greek or race, it's only found three times in the entire Bible. Two of them by Paul in Acts, Acts 13, and then, of course, in this passage of Acts 20, 24 that we just read, and here. Don't miss this. He tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have, what? Finished. It, it, it's pretty amazing if you've never thought about it. In Acts 20, 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing, right? Same word. And he doesn't use it again until here, until I have finished my race. And then to Timothy, he said, I have finished my race. In other words, Timothy, it's on you now. I'm going to go and die for the sake of the gospel. And I'm good because Jesus is my comfort. That's, that's the implication here when we read this. To who he's speaking to. To the one that now would continue the work, the mission of God. And for him, think about this, for Timothy, at this point, it wasn't like he was going off to some mission trip. He was in Ephesus. Are you following me? I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the course, the race. I have kept the faith. Next slide. And now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, that faith in Jesus he had which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Last slide. All who follow Jesus are missionaries of the gospel of His grace. May you and I leave this place so that at the end, wherever God calls you and however God calls you in your sphere of influence, that you and I will be able to say, if Jesus hasn't come yet, I have finished the race. I have finished my course. And now, I await. And if I sleep, <laughs> the next thing I'll see is Jesus and all of his saints with him. Pray with me. Gracious and Heavenly Father, on this international Sabbath, the power of the gospel went to all nation, tribe, and people and continues to move forward. Oh Lord, we pray for those missionaries out in different lands and places that you have called them, preaching Jesus to them. Be with them, Lord. Protect them. There will be in our many that we will never hear about that gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. But Lord, I pray that you be with each one of us. I pray from the youngest to the one retired and beyond. It doesn't matter. We never retire from being missionaries of Jesus. I pray that you empower us, that you fill us with the Spirit, that we are the Pauls, the Andrews, and the then some of missionaries within our sphere of influence to tell people of God's grace that we will just start where we're at and pitch into the work, of, as Andrew said, through the power of the Spirit of the living God until that day. Will either, for whatever reason, we are laid to rest and sleep in Jesus, O oh Lord, or as we look at what's happening around the globe that now we can see in an instant and hear, we see that you are even at the door. And so empower us to stand strong in the love of Jesus and in the love of loving others in Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you.